We are going to Psalm 19 this morning. We're going to be basically staying in Psalm 19 this morning. I have a feeling I may have referenced this psalm ministering recently. You know, when you minister on a regular basis, they do tend to blend after a while. But uh, the Lord has brought me back to this very clearly this week, and so I'm trusting that as we consider this psalm that the Lord will use it to speak to us. Amen. There's been uh, considerable ministry recently in recent weeks and services around the idea of trusting in the Lord, around the idea of obeying His Word and, and particularly even in seasons of difficulty. Brother Jonathan ministered recently about faith beyond the Red Sea. Sister Cassandra ministered recently about when you're in the dark and last Sunday morning, I ministered about the opportunity of obedience. And uh, <clears throat> in each of these messages, there was a strong focus on believing and obeying the Word of God, regardless of circumstances, feelings, or personal preferences. You know, that, that's an important, important statement because we're living in a, in a time when truth is no longer as important as what you feel. And what that means is that people are making major life decisions, uh, particularly even major moral life decisions about what they do with their families, with their marriages, with their relationships and, and even with their gender. They are making decisions based upon how they feel, not based upon fact, not based upon things that are established, not based even upon science. And to live and to be guided by how we feel is a very dangerous way to live. And there is nothing wrong with feelings. We, we say that often. God did not make us robots. He made us emotional creatures. His word clearly reveals to us that he is an emotional being. But emotions, uh, while they are a part of who we are, they cannot be the governing force because they will lead us down a pathway of inconsistency, of bad decisions, of very serious consequences. It's good to have emotions. When we worship the Lord, we get emotional. That's biblical. Amen. But we also, we, regardless of our emotions, we live and are guided by the truth of God's word. And that is so important that as the church we are reminded of that, that we repeat that, that we underline that, that we put it in bold print because we are being affected by the philosophy of this world. Amen. Even on Wednesday night we listened to Brother Adam Hunley minister and he challenged us about how we measure our reasonable service and our commitment in spite of what it may cost. And if you have, if you weren't here on Wednesday night, I did put that message on the, the, the family page on Facebook, so you can watch that if you want to. <clears throat> but the 19th Psalm, as I read it, seems to have basically three sections. We're going to look at each of those at a time today. So we'll start at verse 1. To the chief musician, a Psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And in them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, 
and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Amen. There's a lot of King James English in there, which will hopefully break down into digestible chunks. But the writer of the Psalms we see is David, and he's telling us that creation is a bold and powerful declaration of the existence of the Creator. When we look around at the natural world, or whatever we particularly want to call it, it shouts, if I can say that, that there is a higher power that it is not an accidental situation, but that there is somebody who is behind and instigated all of it. In fact, when you understand what these verses are saying, it's saying that day after day and night after night, creation continually points to its maker. It continually says, look at where we've come from. Consider how it came into existence. Consider how all these things happened. It's not heard in the languages or the dialects of mankind, And yet the testimony of God's power and his creative ability just keeps going around and around the earth. That's what the psalmist said. Everywhere you look, it's being repeated again and again. In the midst of God's creative splendor, he has set the sun, this this source of light that is even at a basic level of scientific understanding. Without it, everything we are aware of basically ceases to exist. He said the power of the sun shines like the passion of a newlywed and with the boldness and the urgency of an athlete that's ready to run and to win a gold medal. There is power that is there. It shines its light upon the whole earth and nothing remains unaffected by its heat or by its warmth. Other times in the Psalms, David said things like, and some of you know these verses, he said, when I consider the heavens, he said, when I think about the stars and the moon that you hung up there somehow, no strings attached. Somehow you hung them out there in perfect balance and everything in orbit and gravity. He said, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is man that you remember him, that you're even willing to bother with him? David David didn't have a whole lot of science, I don't believe, back then, but he was a shepherd who no doubt spent many a night sitting on the hillside as his sheep hopefully were settled down for the night. And on a clear night... Without clouds, he could see the sky. You see, we we see so little of the night sky in the city because there's so much artificial light. But if you ever get an opportunity to get out into the desert, I've been out there quite a number of times where there's a a lot less man-made light and you just stop and look up. Whenever I'm out there in the town of my desert, I hear David's voice echo. What is man? When I consider the heavens... What is man? Even Paul wrote to us in the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. He said, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. He said the invisible things are clearly seen. That doesn't actually make sense. Something's invisible, you can't see it. But even though humanity cannot and could not see God, his existence and his power are constantly on display for us to observe. Man thinks he's so smart, but all it takes is a storm. All it takes is a drought. All it takes is a cyclone or a flood or 
or some natural disaster as we like to call them and we realize how puny we really are. The things that man builds just collapse in the power of creation. Amen. And Paul said at the end of verse 20, he said, there really is no excuse for not believing in God. To look around at the world, there is, there's no rational excuse for thinking that this just happened by accident. If you read on in Romans chapter 1, you see what happens to mankind when they want to marvel at creation but ignore its creator. You see what happens when they believe that it appeared just by chance and they try to bypass the master designer. When mankind in his brilliance, and I use that facetiously, endeavors to use science to try to disprove the existence of the omniscient one. You know what omniscient means? It means he's got all the science. He's got all the knowledge. (laughs) Man tries to use his little bit of science to try to prove that the one who has all the science doesn't exist. And the difference between man's science and his is that he's got no theories. He's just got facts. He's not saying, well, we have to assume this to interpret that. He just says, that's how it is. I made it. I know this stuff. I know what I'm talking about. Amen. But as the psalmist said, day after day, night after night, it just keeps declaring that there is a creator. It keeps declaring that we are each designed, and as the Bible says, fearfully and wonderfully made, and that our small scientific discoveries that blow our minds only give us a glimpse through a keyhole of the laws and the systems and the balance that God orchestrated. Whether you look through a microscope or a telescope, the marvelous power and design of Jesus are on display. Whether you get right down to the level of the cells or you try to look into the Father's galaxy, it's still just a testimony of who God is. Amen. Amen. It's to think that all of these perfectly balanced things are accidental is really embarrassing when you stop to think about it. To try and suggest that the incredible design of the human body is just an amazing accident over a squillion years, it's kind of embarrassing to even believe in that, really. And yet Christians are ridiculed for believing that there was a designer. Creation, no matter what man thinks, keeps on shouting that God is light and that God is revealed for all to see in all that we see around us. And in this incredible backdrop of that nature is, there's planets spinning in orbit. There's oceans that are controlled by tides. I'm kind of glad about that. Kind of glad that the Lord told him where to stop. The, the, I mean, I, I'm not, I, I didn't do much science, but even the ideas of evaporation and rain and how all that works to keep life sustained and, and how it, that brings life. We've got plants, we've got flowers and insects are involved in pollination and fruit is produced and all these systems that are interdependent upon one another that are balanced perfectly. All of that says he lives. All of that says there must be a God. I've said it before, but you move our little mud ball called Earth a little bit further from the sun, and we're icy poles, every one of us. You move us a little bit closer, and we're all crispy. It is hung the perfect distance 
The perfect distance to sustain life. It orbits. We've got seasons. We've got all of these things that God said, this is how it's all going to work. Can you imagine sitting down and saying, okay, I'm going to plan a planet. Think about all the systems that are involved, even the few that I know about, and that's only a few. Trust me, we've got far more educated people here than me. But think about everything that depends and works together and how if any of that gets out of whack, what that does in the ripple effect. Planets start crashing into each other. Life starts to die. Systems cease. And mankind is worried about trying to stop the planet from getting too warm or too cold, depending on what the current scientific view is. And God says, I made all of this. I made all of this. All of it exists under the warmth and the light of the sun. And it's into this stage, in this backdrop, that God places the only part of creation that asks why. (laughs) Amen. It's, it's, why am I here? What is my purpose? These are always the big philosophical questions. What am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to become? And in the backdrop of the majesty of nature that I've tried in my limited ability to emphasize, the psalmist gives us the second portion. Chapter, Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So creation revealed light and the existence of the creator. But the word of God reveals truth. The word of God reveals the will and the purpose of God for our lives. All this nature stuff's awesome. But why am I here? Is it just so I can say, check that sunset out. That's amazing. Look at that mountain. Look at that rainforest. Look at that desert. Look at that river. Look at those clouds. That one looks like this and that one looks like that. And is that why we're here? Or is that to cause us to seek something more than that? To begin to say, what is this all about? And and to break up those few verses just for a couple of minutes, God's word, every everything you see there, it talks about the word of the Lord. They're all speaking about the scriptures. It says God's word is perfect. It has no flaws. It's complete. It's the only written document that exists that is perfect, that is flawless and timeless. And if we will allow it to, the psalmist said it converts the soul. That word means that it turns something back, turns it around, it restores it. It brings it back to what it was supposed to be. So in other words, those that will hear the word of God those that will listen to the Word of God, are turned around from a pathway of wickedness and they begin a restoration process that returns them to their original design purpose of the reason He made them in the first place. And so what happens is we 
You can sort of say that when we respond to the Word of God, when we believe the Word of God, we obey the Word of God, we commence reconstruction instead of destruction. Amen. Because sin destroys. Sin devastates. It breaks down that which God said originally was good. But when we hear the Word of God, God says you can build a house upon a rock. You can be a temple for my spirit. God's word is perfect. It converts the soul. And the psalmist said the testimony of the Lord is sure. The consistent witness throughout time is that God does not change, that God can be trusted, that he is sure, that he is stable, that it does not matter how his popularity rankings rise and fall. It does not matter what revelation mankind has or what new philosophy they come up with out of their own brains. God is sure. God is stable. He does not change. And it is that reliability. It is that, if I can take a bit of creative license, say that unmovableness. I'm not sure if that's even a real word. But that unmovableness that has the ability to make the simple person wise. That's what the Bible says. That means that even though I may just be a simple man, and I am, if I keep looking to the Word of God for direction, if I keep listening to His voice, it does not change. I'm not going to get a different message tomorrow than I got today. He's the same. Amen. And that means that if I am can keep coming back to Him time and time again in spite of my absence of genius in the sight of this world, his consistency can make me wise. Amen. Because I'm listening to him. Amen. He does not change. And even if you are simple today, and that's, um, that's not derogatory, most of us are just regular folks. But the scripture says, if I will look to his word, you can live as a wise person. Doesn't mean academic, not that there's anything wrong with being academic. But it means that every person, every person, if they keep coming back to the testimony of the Lord, God will give them wisdom. Amen. The statutes of the Lord are right. It seems a little underwhelming, but in a world that's ever changing, God's word was right when he gave it. Still right today. Hasn't changed. And he said that if we follow those statutes, they will cause our hearts to rejoice because our hearts to rejoice life is not free of pain amen we understand that life very few people go through life and dodge pain all the way but there is pain that believers don't have to experience if we walk with God your children don't need to experience the pain of divorced parents you don't need to experience the pain of an unfaithful spouse You don't need to feel the torment of addiction. Now, I know we've all got a past. We've all got a BC life, amen, and some of those things may be in that past. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when the people that are involved in the family, the marriage and the life are living the way that God wants them to. We can bypass that stuff. Amen. If that's in your BC, if that's in your past, we thank God for his saving power, his restoration, and the fact that he's making you whole. Amen. But when I live by the statutes of the Lord, it rejoices my heart. 
As we heard recently, joy is not happiness. Happiness comes and goes like a vapor, but joy is a decision. Joy is a putting our trust in the Word of God and living the way that God wants us to live. Then the psalmist said, the commandment of the Lord is pure. It's never and never will be compromised or corrupted with sin. It's not diluted. It's not watered down. It's pure. Amen. Now we think, you know, you think about purity. Think about the things you eat and drink. Some years ago at General Conference, Brother Downs, our superintendent, was preaching about some of these concepts and he had a glass of water and he got Matthew up when he was a fair bit younger, gave him a teaspoon and said, go and dip that in the toilet and bring it back. And he put that teaspoon in the glass of water and he said, who wants to drink? It was only a little tiny bit of water on the teaspoon, but nobody said, yeah, I'll have a drink, I'm thirsty. Why? Because we knew instantly it was corrupted. We knew instantly that the level of purity that existed beforehand suddenly wasn't the same. And we live in a world that's constantly wanting us to dilute, to soften, to mingle the Word of God into things that fit in society. But the Scripture says the commandment of the Lord is pure. It's pure. And because of that, it enlightens the eyes. In other words, it causes us to see things as they really are. God's Word can give us clarity. If you want to know how to walk with God in righteousness in this world, you must have the Word of God to illuminate your pathway. You can't work it out by yourself. I'm sorry, but you're just not smart enough. We must allow our theology or our beliefs about God to direct our actions. We cannot allow our actions to direct our theology. Because if it does that, it's not pure anymore. Its intentions are compromised. Don't modify what you believe to satisfy what you want to do. There's enough of that going on in the world. Don't modify what you believe just to satisfy what you want to do. Your vision will become murky and you'll be unable to discern what is right and what is wrong. The word of the Lord is pure. And it says, the fear of the Lord is clean. He's a holy, powerful God. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of kindness and love and long-suffering. He's also a God of holiness, righteousness, judgment, and purity. And we must remember, we must be grateful for this one and never forget that one. The fear of the Lord is clean. When you walk with Him in reverence and in awe, there is a cleanness or a purity that is a byproduct of that. When we think, God, I don't want to displease you. I love you. I want to do what pleases you. That produces a purity in our lives because He is first. The book of Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's a good place to start if you want to get wise. Recognize that He is God. And there is none like him. Amen. If I am more concerned about what God thinks and who God is than anything or anyone else, that's going to produce wisdom. Amen. The fear of the Lord is clean and the psalmist said it lasts forever. And that means is God can keep you in the palm of his hand regardless of the chaos that's going on around you in this world. We should, we should be aware of the world but not afraid of it. 
If we're afraid, we should be going living in a bunker in a mountain somewhere. But greater is he, the Bible says, that is in us than he that is in the world. God can keep you in the palm of his hand regardless of what happens in this world. Amen. If you will walk with him. Amen. The 119th Psalm, this isn't in my slides, but 119 and 51 basically says, even the arrogant have ridiculed me. He said, but I'm still going to keep your law. I'm still going to do what you want me to do, Lord. Then the psalmist said in Psalm 19, the judgments of the Lord are true. God is just. His justice, not ours. Now, our law courts are guided by the wisdom and values of mankind, and that's constantly changing. And, you know, we are biblically required to honor them to the very best of our ability. If we are going to disobey the law, it must clearly contradict the word of God. It cannot be based upon your preferences. There's plenty of, I've said it before, there's plenty of streets I think need a higher speed limit. But I can't do that speed just because I think it needs a higher speed limit. And the flashing red and blue lights go off in my rear view mirror and I pull over. And he says, do you know what you're doing? He said, yeah, I was doing the speed I thought there should be on this road. I'm still getting a ticket. I'm still, I'm probably going to get breathalyzed actually if I try to say that to a police officer. We have to do that. We have to honor them. And some of what our courts do are okay, but our hope is not in this world. God is the only judge who gets it right every single time. He's always righteous. And you know, we know the judge and we know the law. That's both a privilege and a responsibility. That's both a a blessing and an absence of excuses. It takes away our excuses. Amen. So, So what do we think that we should do with that? The psalmist says that these things, the benefits of the word of God, should generate a desire in us that is stronger than a desire for the material things of this world. It talks about it being more than gold and fine gold, and those things in the ancient world were the ultimate measure of wealth. Fine gold was as good as it got. They didn't have a lot of the other minerals that we might have today, but in the ancient world, fine gold was the the benchmark of, of wealth. And the psalmist said we should want the things that are in God's word more than that. Honey and the honeycomb was, you know, it's, it's when it's at its freshest and, and it's still in the comb, it's at its sweetest. And again, in the ancient world, it was a, a symbol of luxury and something special. They didn't have it every day in a bucket in the fridge like we do. But even then, we were supposed to desire the word of the Lord more than that as well, more than the pleasures of this life. And as much... As the creation makes grand statements about God on a universal scale, his word is more powerful than that. It's more important than that. It's more precious than that. Because what is the value in acknowledging a God who fills the universe if he remains light years away? If he's out there in some outer realm, in some galaxy somewhere, and, you know, our prayers take a week to get to him because the dial-up's slow or whatever. Well, what, what good is that to us? But the Bible says that that same God whose majesty is on display wants to be your father and wants us to be his children. He wants to come down to our relationship. And so this is where we get to the last of the three sections of this psalm. Psalm 19 and verse 11. Moreover, still talking about the Word of God, 
By them is thy servant warned, and in the keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So all of the aspects of the law, it's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, it's true. The psalmist said all of these things warn us. There's a warning in all of those. Amen. All of the promises about what the word can do for us, about how it can benefit us, come with an opposing warning of what happens if we don't do what the word of God says. We've referenced Romans 1 already, but if you, if you read that later, you'll see the, the spiral of a humanity who chooses to try to bypass God. They don't acknowledge his existence. They don't acknowledge him as a creator. They don't acknowledge him as being worthy of worship. And step by step, they degenerate down a spiral of depravity and wickedness and godlessness until finally they get to a place called 2023, where we live. And we wonder why our world is in chaos. We wonder why... Families are falling apart. We wonder why lives are falling apart. Why, as the scripture says, men's hearts are failing them because of fear. It's a product of that spiral. Amen. Man, man is technologically brilliant and advancing, but he is morally degenerate. We can't solve our moral problems. In fact, they're getting so bad that rather than suggest they're a problem, we're taking the word problem away and saying this is normal and you can choose to be like this. That way it's not a problem anymore. Because they cannot fix it. Because they have removed God from the equation. And then he also said that if we keep the law of the Lord, there are treasures that the Lord has for us. And then he said, who is able to really understand his own heart? You know, there are secrets you have that you don't even know. It's kind of strange to think about. There are secrets that are in us that we don't even know them. Prophet Jeremiah mentioned this in Jeremiah 17 and 9 where he says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings but that's what the Bible says he said who can know it who really knows what's going on in the depths of the human heart but then verse 10 says I the Lord search the heart I try the reins and I respond to man according to how he behaves it says the Lord searches the heart man's got things in his heart that's me you all of us that we're not even really aware that they're there. But God searches our hearts. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that the Lord has to get in there and move some junk out of the way to see what's going on in the depths of it? No, it doesn't mean that. He knows what's in your heart already. He can print you out an inventory with every last little detail. He knows. But what it means is that what His Word does, what's the context? We're talking about the Word of God. What His Word does, if we allow it to, it gets down into our hearts. What does it do? It converts. It changes, it makes wise, it brings joy, it purifies, it cleans, it adds truth and it judges. How do we address those secrets? We say, Lord, let this book get right down into the very heart of who I am. 
Amen, amen. If you want to, the Lord to work in you at the level of what you cannot see and you don't even know about, it only happens by his word. That's what it says. He converts. He purifies. Now, let me say this. If you're doing things now that aren't secret, you already know that you shouldn't be doing. If you're already mixing unrighteousness with your walk with God, you need to start there first before you worry about the secret things. Deal with the junk we're aware about first. Then we'll get the Lord working down deep. Then the psalmist said, and I'm nearly done. He said, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. This is a really interesting statement. Because the word presumptuous, as we use it, means usually to, to cross a line or to go beyond what's appropriate and what, go beyond limitations. You know, someone might say, I hope I'm not being presumptuous by saying this. What they're saying is, I hope I'm not overstepping. I hope I'm not out of, out of my lane. But when you consider the Hebrew word in this psalm together with the context about the word of God, the word presumptuous is implying sins that we commit willfully or deliberately because of our pride. So they're not secret in the same sense they are in the previous verse, but we can still be blinded to the consequences of them because of pride. Nothing affects your vision like pride. Nothing affects how you see things like pride. Because what happens is self-justification shows up in the same environment. We start. To, we, we know something is wrong, but we find a way we want to downplay it or reduce the charges from sin to misdemeanor. So, you know, it's, it's just a slap on the wrist. It's not jail time. You know, we try to weaken the penalty thereof. But the cry that David makes in the psalm is, please, Lord, don't let these things have dominion. Don't let them rule over me. Don't let me be deceived into thinking that I'm okay. Jesus said in John 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. He's the deceiver. If he can deceive you and you are in a bad place but you believe you're all right, you're in a very dangerous situation. The psalmist said, Lord, if you'll cleanse my heart with your word, if you'll reveal my pride. You know, it's... Anybody enjoy having their pride revealed? Anybody said, I'm really glad you told me I was full of pride. That made my day. No, we don't like it because our ego reacts. I'm sorry, gentlemen, but particularly men. I thought I'd get a few more amens from the wives in the building. But we don't like it when pride is revealed. But we need it revealed because it will deceive us. See, this is, an, this is a great example of the world trying to soften things. The, what does the world say pride does? Pride comes before a fall. That's what the world says. That's not in this book. This book says that pride comes before destruction. I can handle a fall. I'm not sure about destruction. That's deceit right there. Amen. Pride comes before destruction. He said, Lord, if you'll help me, if you'll reveal my pride so that I'm not deceived by my own arrogance, then, he said, I shall be upright. Not in my own power, not in my own ability, in my own talent, but by the word of God transforming my heart. He said, then you'll make me innocent. You'll save me from the great transgression, from the consequences of sinful humanity. And then, and then we get to the last verse in the psalm, the one that is so often quoted by itself in isolation. And that's okay. But the context gives this verse more emphasis. What it's telling us is, I need the words that 
that are coming out of my mouth and the things that I'm really thinking about to be acceptable. Not the passing thoughts that leave as quickly as they came, but the things that I spend time turning over in my mind, examining, questioning, accusing, believing, the things that affect who I am and what I do. David said those things and what is a product of those things that comes out of my mouth, those things need to be acceptable in your sight, Lord. He said this book needs to change how I think about him. This book needs to change how I think about me. This book needs to change how I think about you. That's really what the book is about. (laughs) It's about changing a whole lot of things. You know, when people go to counsellors, they seek help with depression, anxiety and a lot of other struggles. And let me emphatically say, so you don't misunderstand me, there is a place for good counselling. I'm not anti-counselling. I believe it is a a good tool. It serves a good purpose. I will say this, if you're considering counselling, find a biblically-based model. Don't find a secular model. That doesn't mean that every time you see the counsellor they're going to quote scripture and preach. What it means is that they're counselling from a platform of understanding humanity biblically, sin and those sort of things. Secular counselling just doesn't have wrong or right. So if you, that's, that's just a side thing. You can, if you want to talk to me about that later, please do. But one of the, one of the tools that is used often by counsellors is something called cognitive behaviour therapy. And there are psychologists in the building, so that's about as deep as I'm going to get. But that's a formal way or a fancier way of saying training your mind to think differently. That's what that is. Amen. And changing the way that man thinks has been necessary since the very beginning. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We're six chapters into the book, folks. And man is messed up in the head. His thinking screwed up. How he thinks about God, how he thinks about himself, how he thinks about other people. We've got murder, we've got immorality, we've got idolatry. It's all there. Six chapters in. And God has always, part of his redemption plan is to take that mind and transform it. Amen. Be not, we heard about it Wednesday night, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Psalm 19 and 14, as I close, if you will stand with me, please. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer he didn't just tack those two things in on the end just because he thought i need to give some some ideas about god he said you are my strength you're that unchanging rock that i can hang on to you're also my redeemer you brought me back you washed me in your blood you paid the price for my sin and now if i will submit myself to your word let it purify let it convert let it do all of those things you will cause the thoughts of my mind the meditations of my heart and as a product of that the words of my mouth to be acceptable 
in your sight, oh God. We're, we're talking a lot lately about this book, but we need to understand its power. Amen. Let's just lift our hands together this morning and worship Him. Right where you stand, let's make a, a commitment that, oh God, I want your word to change my life. Lord, I want that peace. I want that joy. I want you to convert me. I want you to give me that joy and that sureness. Lord God, that purity. Lord, I pray there are treasures. There are rewards that you will give to us. Lord God, I pray help us to guard our minds. Help us, Lord, to watch over the philosophies we allow to visit our minds and to try to take up residence. God, let us examine everything against your word, I pray. Because it's still true. It still hasn't changed. It's still more precious than fine gold. It's still more exquisite than honey straight from the honeycomb, Lord God. God, help us to walk with you in righteousness. Help us to make good decisions, Lord, that are guided by your word and empowered by your spirit. Lord God, we 